1999, a company spent over 25% of their, their marketing budget on a single 30-second ad for the Super Bowl. It was a, a sort of well-known company, but it, it not really well-known company called Monster.com. It's a job hosting website, if you're not familiar. And they were growing, but they weren't exactly like Super Bowl Sunday, uh, you know, ad level company, right? They're not, they weren't like a Ford or a Coca-Cola. But they had this, this idea. And they were so confident in the idea that the CEO of the company was okay, allowing over 25% of their entire year's budget for advertising to go to this one 30-second ad. And he was so confident that he, he had his company spend a vast amount of money to upgrade their servers so that whenever the ad aired, all the responses he was confident would come, they would be able to handle it, their site wouldn't crash. And so there's, there's a lot riding on this, this one ad, this one commercial. If it had not been successful, like heads would have rolled. But as it turned out, he was right. And it became one of the most iconic and, and most successful 30-second ads in the history of television, both in terms of how universally it was loved and, and received and also the immediate impact it had on their company. Visits to their website doubled instantly, stayed that way for a really long time, and it really launched them. So I wanna take 30 seconds. I wanna show you this ad because it's so connected to what we're gonna talk about today. So guys, go ahead and, and play this. When I grow up, I want to file all day. I want to claw my way up to middle management. Be replaced on a whim. I want to have a brown nose. I want to be a yes man. Yes woman. Yes sir. Coming sir. Anything for a raise sir. When I grow up. When I grow up. I want to be underappreciated. Be paid less for doing the same job. I want to be forced into early retirement. Yeah. That's it. 30 seconds. Some of you are having a, a life crisis right now going, I need to update my resume. That touched me in a way I didn't, I didn't mean to do that. That wasn't the goal. There was something so powerful about seeing children talk about their dreams and, and have those dreams be, be like so mundane and minuscule. And it stirred something inside of people. It reconnected people to that that universal reality of being young and dreaming big. I, I went to my uh, third child, Judah's preschool graduation. Quick side note, there shouldn't be graduations for preschools. There's, not, there's no grades, you can't fail preschool. So how can you, grad? whatever. But you know, you go to those things as a dad, you're like, you have to, there's more of them than there have ever been before. And it was, it was great, it was really sweet, really cute. And it's funny because the way they did the graduation is all the kids like came down, like cap and gown, I mean, it was, it was the whole nine yards, and uh, handed them a piece of paper that none of them could read, but it's fine. <laughs> and, and then they announced what each of them wanted to be. And uh, there were seven astronauts, I counted, seven. A, I think two superheroes, like some of those kids are like, no, I'm going big, I'm going to literally save the world, I'm gonna do it. Um, you know, there were firefighters, police officers, there, there were uh, doctors, a couple of veterinarians, like every single kid had, had something substantial. Because there is something inside of us from birth that not only desires 
to be great, but actually sort of anticipates it, right? Like I can remember being, being 10, and for me, it was just like, well, should I play in the NBA or the major leagues of baseball? Like, wow, I gotta make a choice. Which one is it gonna be? My oldest once told me that once he retires from the NBA, he might do my job. He told me this when he was like nine, 10. He's like, I think when I retire from my main thing, maybe I can do what you do. I was like, thanks, son. That, that means a lot, you know, that I'm your retirement plan. There is something natural built into us that desires to be great and at a young age believes that it'll happen. And as we get older, there's this frustration that can grow when it feels like we haven't been able to be what we thought we could and we can get frustrated at all the things in life, maybe all the things within us that have held us back. That's what made that ad so successful. This morning, I want us to talk about what it truly means to be great. If you really want to be great, that's what we're gonna talk about today. Now, to back up for some context, we're gonna start exploring, for the next several weeks leading into Christmas, we're gonna start exploring this, this one amazing moment in Jesus's life. And it's the, the last meal that he has with his followers. It's the, the final meal that Jesus has. You may have seen the famous Leonardo da Vinci painting, you know, where they're all sitting on one side of the table. Um, kind of a strange way to orient a painting. But this, this meal, sometimes called the Last Supper, it's one of the most iconic and powerful moments in all of Jesus's life. It's amazing how many of, of the most powerful things he ever did and ever said, things like, I am the way, the truth, and the life, came from that meal, from that conversation. Lord's Supper, something that we do every single Sunday, we're gonna do it at the end this morning, where we take the bread and, and the juice. That comes from that meal. And what's amazing about this one is that we, we have so much information on what was said and what happened. It's not the case always with, with Jesus in the times that he hung out with people. Like if, if you were planning a party, if you were gonna plan a dinner party and you're like, who should we invite? You should always invite Jesus if he was around. Like in those days, who should be there? Jesus, because when Jesus showed up at your house for dinner, something always went down. And it was always different, surprising, and really cool. And sometimes we just don't know what, what it was. But for example, there's a man named Zacchaeus in Jesus's day. He was a tax collector. He was really a criminal. He extorted people for money. He was totally comfortable with having other people suffer for his gain. Jesus shows up in his town, looks at him, says, Zacchaeus, I'm gonna have dinner with you tonight. And we have no idea. We, we don't know anything about what Jesus said to him. We know nothing about the conversation. We just know that he had dinner with Jesus. And by the end of that dinner, he gave away everything that he had taken from people with interest. Something about that meal. I don't know what they ate. I don't know what Jesus said, but man, if I could be a fly on the wall for that conversation. Well, the cool thing about the Last Supper, the, the final meal is that we do get to be a fly on the wall. Maybe that's why Da Vinci painted it that way because we sort of get to sit on the other side of the table. And we know what was said and what was done. And it's like we can experience it too. And that's what I want us to do for these next few, few weeks is just be there, engaged as much as we can be, 
and see Jesus so clearly. It's a really cheesy line that's in my head a lot because it rhymes, it's kind of it's cheesy. And it's just that if I can see him more clearly, I will love him more dearly. You know, some of us here, maybe watching from home, maybe you haven't made the decision to be a Jesus follower. And I can understand that if you're not a Jesus follower, that things like worship that we start our, our morning with every Sunday can feel a little odd. Like it can just seem like a weird karaoke experience, you know? But for us who know Jesus, who have had an encounter with Jesus, there comes a point where there's nothing to do but worship him. Like there's just nothing to do but, but cry out and sing out whether you do it out loud or you're more of an internal worshiper, but there's just nothing you can do but, but worship him because you've seen him clearly enough to recognize that that is what, that is what should happen. That, he necessitates that. I believe that the more clearly we see Jesus, the more dearly we, we love him. And I think in exploring this, this meal, we'll see Jesus in, in maybe a fresh way. So we're gonna get started by opening up John chapter 13. It says, before the Passover celebration, Jesus knew that his hour had come to leave this world and return to his father. He had loved his disciples during his ministry on earth and now he loved them to the very end. It was time for supper and the devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the father had given him authority over everything, that he had come from God and would return to God. So he got up from the table, took off his robe, wrapped a towel around his waist and poured water into a basin. Then he began to wash the disciples' feet, drying them with the towel he had around him. When Jesus came to Simon Peter, Peter said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? And Jesus replied, you don't understand now what I'm doing, but someday you will. No, Peter protested, you will never wash my feet. Jesus replied, unless I wash you, you won't belong to me. So Simon Peter exclaimed, then wash my hands and head as well, Lord, not just my feet. Jesus replied, a person who is bathed all over does not need to wash except for the feet to be entirely clean. And you disciples are clean, but not all of you, for Jesus knew who would betray him. That is what he meant when he said, not all of you are clean. After washing their feet, he put on his robe again and sat down and asked, do you understand what I was doing? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, because that's what I am. And since I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you ought to wash each other's feet. I have given you an example to follow. Do as I have done to you. I tell you the truth. Slaves are not greater than their master, nor is the messenger more important than the one who sends the message. Now that you know these things, God will bless you for doing them. Some of you are worried that we have bowls of water set aside and shoes are about to come up. Don't worry, we're not. Someone just went, oh, okay. It's a strange thing, but for our culture today, but in Jesus' culture, washing feet was a really big deal. The Jewish people of Jesus' day were actually way more focused on cleanliness than their contemporaries, but staying clean was pretty hard in that time and in that place. You know, you're in the Middle East and, and footwear's come a long way. In Jesus' day, what everyone would have been wearing was just a simple leather sandal. And we're talking a, a little a little foot-shaped bottom with a few small leather straps to keep it on your feet. And so even if you had cleaned yourself completely, just walking from place to place, everyone traveled by foot, you would have, there's just no way to avoid having filthy feet in Jesus's day. And so when you would enter a, a home, 
Because they were so focused on, on cleanliness, there would be bowls of water set aside, basins of water for you to have your, your feet washed as you came in. This would have been a very normal custom in his day. But it wasn't something anyone got excited about. It wasn't something that was viewed in like some honorary way. Like if you were said, hey, you get to wash feet tonight. People weren't like, wow, thank you. Thank you for this, this deep honor. Well, because like feet are gross. They just, they, they are, they're gross. They always have been. The, the phrase smells like feet has never been a compliment. It will never be a compliment, okay? Feet haven't changed in the last 2000 years. And so washing feet was something that was always done if you were like wealthy enough to have servants in your home. It was always done by the lowest ranking servant in a home. In fact, the Jewish people who had servants, they were wealthy enough to have that, would make sure that whichever servant washed the feet wasn't even one of the Jewish servants. They didn't even want that task to be done by one of their own people. That is how low of a position washing feet was, was viewed as. And so the backdrop here is that the disciples are, are here at this last meal with Jesus. Jesus has planned this. He's thought about this. Think about how intentional Jesus would be in this final opportunity to sit down with his followers, to help them connect the dots. It's so clear to Jesus that they have so much left to learn, so much of what he has said has not connected. It hasn't sunk in. He's got one more night to be with them and to teach them and to hopefully help them get there. And here's how the night begins. Luke's gospel gives us a different vantage point. We get to see what precedes this foot washing. It says, then they began to argue among themselves about who would be the greatest among them. And Jesus told them, in this world, the kings and great men lord it over their people, yet they are called friends of the people. But among you, it will be different. Those who are the greatest among you should take the lowest rank and the leader should be like a servant. Who is more important? The one who sits at the table or the one who serves? Well, the one who sits at the table, of course, but not here. In other words, not in my kingdom. For I am among you as one who serves. So here's Jesus. Just like, let's, let's put ourselves there as much as we can. Here's Jesus. It's your last night with your disciples. You've spent three years teaching them, training them, walking with them everywhere. They've seen you do miracles. They've heard you say things that have just blown people's minds. And all of this time, you've known that you've gotta to go to the cross. You've known that a time is coming when you're not physically gonna be there anymore. And these are the guys you picked. These are the guys that you've spent all your time with. And so you'd hope that by the end, by the moment that you're about to go to the cross, that this stuff has sunk in and they, under, they really understand what you're about. And you're sitting there and the meal's about to get started and you're listening to them argue about which of them will be the greatest. You know, it's likely that they all walked in with filthy feet and Jesus and his disciples didn't have servants. They didn't, they didn't do that. And so either you're gonna wash your own feet or someone's gonna have to like step up and take one for the team and be like, hey guys, my night to wash feet. And it's very clear by the argument that they're having that no one's volunteering for that task. In fact, it could be that the very thing they're arguing about is like who has to be the one who washes feet. We don't know that, but it, it kind of fits. Like I'm not doing it because I'm clearly ahead of you. Like who should be the one? It's probably Bartholomew because he doesn't really ever do anything if you look at the gospels, right? But like, who's it gonna be? It's Peter, absolutely not. Like Peter brags that night about how he is clearly the most loyal to Jesus. 
You know, John and James were, were brothers and, and they were some of the first that Jesus called and, and they were part of his inner circle and they're like, no, nah, not us. We are, they actually had just had their mom shortly before this go to Jesus and try to get their mom to, to like talk Jesus into guaranteeing them places of honor. They're not signing up for the foot washing. And so all this arguing is happening. I'm the greatest. No, I am. No, I'm the one that Jesus said this to. No, I was there the day that, that Jesus did this. You know, Andrew could be like, I was the first one to follow him. None of you would be here if not for me. And here's Jesus just watching this happen. So he walks over, he grabs a basin, and he takes off his, his outer garment, his robe, because if you were washing feet, your robe would get really dirty, and they, they didn't do that, they protected that. So he takes it off, which puts you in even a, a lower position, because you're exposed. And he bends down, and he begins to wash their feet, and they are stunned. They are shocked. Peter's like, Jesus, no. No, you, you can't. And, and Jesus kind of says, Peter, just shut up. <laughs> Please, for once in your life, stop talking. I very much relate to Peter. And let me do this for you. You don't understand what I'm doing, but one day you will. And Jesus shows them that all this talk about greatness that they've been having, that they have no understanding, no idea what God very much considers great. You know, it's interesting. Jesus speaks to that desire within them to be great, just like the commercial we looked at earlier spoke to. He recognizes that in them is the desire to be great, and that's fine. He, he doesn't tell them not to strive for greatness. He says, hey, whoever among you wants to be great, you wanna be great? This is what greatness looks like in God's eyes. This would have immediately echoed a, a teaching of Jesus they had heard earlier. Matthew chapter 20, verses 25 through 28, Jesus called them together and said, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. Whoever wants to be first must be your slave, just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus says, hey guys, you wanna be great? Good, I called you to be great. When he called Peter out of being a fisherman, he said, I'm gonna take you from being a fisherman to a fisher of men. He recognized in them a desire for more and he spoke to that, that's a good thing. That part of us from birth that wants to be great, that's a good thing. Jesus doesn't place a cap on it, but he completely turns it upside down and says, hey, in God's eyes, you guys have no idea what greatness really looks like. But if you wanna be great, if you really wanna live a life of consequence in God's eyes, and let's face it, who else's eyes count? This is what greatness looks like. And he takes off his robe and he performs the lowest possible task available. Jesus shows us in his eyes, in the eyes of God, the, the supremacy of service. That what God values more than just about anything 
is, is humility. Matthew chapter 23, Jesus says, don't let anyone call you rabbi for you only have one teacher and all of you are equal as brothers and sisters. By the way, this is part of why people ask this sometimes, especially if you're new to the church, like why I'm not um, Pastor Justin or Pastor McTeer. Like I am a pastor, that is my role, but it is not a title that I carry. You know, I, I will tell people, oh, I'm, I'm the, the pastor at that church, but that's, that's just my role. I don't have a title. I don't need a title. None of us do. Because he says, don't let anyone call you rabbi. We all have one teacher. We're equal as brothers and sisters. Don't address anyone here on earth as father, for only God in heaven is your father. Don't let anyone call you teacher, for you only have one teacher, the Messiah. The greatest among you must be a servant. But those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. Those who exalt themselves will be humbled, but those who humble themselves will be exalted. God values humility more than we could possibly understand. And when, when we as people are willing to take the lowest possible opportunity, the lowest ranking opportunity to serve other people, that, that impresses God far more than anything that, that the world would say is worthy of, of dignity or respect. And I, I've seen this actually play out in some really interesting ways. It's funny, sometimes you kind of step back and watch how God operates and what he values. And so it's, it's funny, I'm gonna I'll brag on him for a second, uh, just because I, I do from time to time, but like Matt Simmons, who leads our worship team, Matt's great. And Matt's unusual, because he's very humble, even though he's really talented. A lot of times people who are more talented, they're just harder to deal with. It's like the opposite with Matt. I mean, sometimes, but it's okay. <laughs> but you know, Matt, Matt's our worship, he's our worship leader. Like he leads the worship team and, and it's so much work. But you know, the first task Matt ever had here at his hands. Um, it was he started when he was in college over 10 years ago, working like eight hours a week. And I, I remember, because I was here and, and I brought him on and I said, hey man, we, we really love you. And I just, you know, it's a part-time job. Just, we can work with your hours, super flexible while you're in school. It, it might grow and it, it has. Um, and he's like, yeah, I'll do it. I'll do anything. And the first week he was here, his, his job was, we had a goose that just decided this was the goose's home. I don't know if the goose is still around, um, but this goose, just this was, it picked our church. Love Jesus, I guess. And, uh, and it decided that the walkway in front of the children's entrance was where it just wanted to like enjoy life. And every week between, between Sunday and Saturday, you know, the, the goose would just crap all over the sidewalk <laughs> in front of our building. And Matt's job was to scrape off and clean off all the goose poop. That's what he did. And he did a great job. He's really good at it. I just want to say, Matt was one of, one of the best goose poop cleaners I have ever seen. A flawless technique. Absolutely flawless technique. And now he's our worship pastor, right? That's how it works sometimes. And he never complained about it. He never said, no, I'm not going to do that. That's beneath me. He was always like, yeah, let's go. In fact, I, I remember it was one of his first weeks here. Someone had like, for some reason, come by the, the building and sort of vandalized the Jesus statue and, and had just like dumped a bunch of stuff on it, like food or something, and it had all like baked on there. And we, we noticed it. And so we were just like the only two who were here that day. And we're like, hey, let's just go out and clean it off. And it was really surreal. Because obviously it's not Jesus, it's a statue, right? But even just loving Jesus, there was something about 
just taking paper towels and wiping off that statue. We looked at each other like, this is like, uh, this is interesting, you know? Jesus is calling us to be great. If you have a desire to be more than you are, that's a good thing. Jesus is calling you to be great, but he's also redefining what greatness is. Greatness in our eyes is all about status and dignity and respect. Greatness in Jesus' eyes is all about service and love. And so I just want us to think this morning about this idea of do I really want to be great? And do I really want to be great in God's eyes? And if so, what would that look like to live that way? And the reality is it's utter humility. You know, it's funny, for the disciples, Jesus washing their feet was like shocking. Oh my goodness, there's no, he can't do this. But for Jesus, this is par for the course. This is nothing compared to what Jesus had already humbled himself to do. Philippians chapter two, verses three through 11, might have one of the most powerful wordings of, of the humility and the, the divinity too of Jesus that we have in all of scripture. Here's what it says. Don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble, thinking of others as better than yourself. Don't look out only for your own interests, but take an interest in others too. You must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. The actual Greek language uses the idea that he emptied himself of all of his divinity, all of his divine power and privileges. He gave all of that up and he took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on a cross. Therefore, God elevated him to the place of highest honor and gave him the name above all other names so that the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue declare that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Jesus sacrificed so much just to be here. We often don't think of, of Christmas, the birth of Jesus as a sacrifice story. But you could actually make the argument that Jesus sacrificed more to be born here than he ever sacrificed when he went to the cross because he gave up heaven where he was worshiped and adored and had more power and glory than we could even begin to imagine. And he set all of that aside for what? To come, to be with us, to be one of us, to take upon himself our own weaknesses, to live a life serving us. He didn't pick some wealthy family. He wasn't a prince. He, he had a job. He worked with his hands, he was poor, he experienced hunger, he experienced thirst and fatigue and heartbreak and pain. And he took that all the way to the cross. See, for Jesus washing the feet, that's just who he is. He is humble. He is like humility incarnate. And so when he calls us to be like that, to step into some greatness, and serve, he's just asking us to do what he does all the time, what he still does. Scripture actually gives us a window into what Jesus is doing right now in heaven, and he's praying for us. He's serving us right now. In this really compassionate way, because he knows our weaknesses and our struggles. And it's almost like he can look at God the Father and be like, look, they're having a hard day. I get it. I know how they feel. He serves us. 
So, if you wanna be great, I'll give you two things, two really practical steps if you wanna be great. Step one, be willing to serve anyone. Be willing to serve anyone at any time. Be ready, I mean, like, like at the drop of a hat, be ready to relinquish every bit of status, every bit of achievement, every bit of dignity that you have. At the drop of a hat, be ready to lay it aside to serve someone else. That's a hard thing to do. In fact, I had a friend that reminded me of, of this dynamic that we all deal with as people this last week by mentioning one of the most iconic TV characters in, in television history, the one and only Dwight K. Schrute, if you guys are, are Office fans. I found that like The Office is something that either you're like, at this point in time, you're really into, you've binge watched it like three or four times, you know it by heart, anyone in that category of people, you're like, yes, or you're like, I don't, I'm never gonna watch it, I've just decided not to, anyone there? Okay, half and half, some of you are just apathetic toward The Office, which is fine, um, it's fine to be that way. But, but there's a character, if you're not familiar, named, named Dwight Schrute, and he's kind of the antithesis of the, the commercial we looked at earlier. Like, his dream is to be the regional manager of a local paper company. Like, that is, in his mind, that is the greatest thing a human being can be. And in order to do that, he does all the things that, like, would drive you crazy if you had a coworker. He sucks up to the boss. He tries to sabotage his coworkers. It's all about trying to get to this level. And he's obsessed with status. So his boss gives him this meaningless title. And it's assistant, what? To the regional manager, right? Some of you guys, you know your stuff. But that's not what Dwight says when people, like when he introduces himself to people. He, he calls himself what, what does he say? Yes, he says, I'm Dwight, the assistant regional manager. And his nemesis, Jim, is always like, uh-uh, assistant to the regional manager. And it drives him nuts. But it's so relatable because we all understand that dynamic as a person, how much we strive for recognition, for status, how, how desperately we will cling to that. That's why it's relatable because we all kind of deep down inside understand like, I, I, want, I want more of that. I want more status. I want more recognition. I've earned it. And so, we tend to cling to that as much as possible. We tend to hold on tightly to it. I mean, people will even lie and exaggerate to have more of it. And Jesus didn't even cling to his own divinity. Like if Jesus is willing to set aside that, I mean, how much more should I be ready and willing to throw away whatever amount of status or dignity I might think that I have in my life if it means to serve people. Consider for a moment whose feet Jesus washed that night. I mean, he's washing the feet of Peter. Just imagine like the line. And I don't know, I think I would have rather been the first one in the line. It was probably Peter because he's the one that's like shocked about it. I don't know if that's true or not, but he's the one that has the argument with Jesus and after Jesus wins the argument with Peter, everyone else would probably have just been like, clearly this is happening. But I mean, imagine how awkward it must have been to just be in that line and watching the next person and, and then like, here you go, it's my turn. And you know, so you would have had Peter and, and Jesus is washing his feet and Peter is like, sometimes he's the star player, sometimes he's the one that just drives you crazy. 
I watch a lot of sports and there was a player of a team that I love and I used to, to I mean, he was a really good player, but he, he would also make a lot of mistakes and I would just yell his name in frustration. And my oldest son, when he was like three, thought that person's name was just an expression of anger. So he would walk around our house and sometimes something, he would drop something, he would just yell out that person's name because he had only heard me say it like that. He thought this is like, you know, and Peter was like that sometimes. Peter was just that guy, he frustrates you and so Jesus washes his feet. And, and then you've got, you know, the, the next few guys that come in, you've got James and John who I mentioned and Jesus has had to correct them multiple times. Like one time, there was someone that was saying something bad about Jesus and they thought they would say this to impress him. They were like, hey, hey, Jesus, look, do you just tell us, you want us to like call down like fire from heaven, like just burn them up? And Jesus is like, no, I don't. What would have ever given you that idea of all that I've said and done and taught? And so he has to like correct them. There's a lot of that going on. There's times where Jesus like looks at them and they just fail him. He's like, hey, guys, do this, and they just can't. And he even at times expresses that, like how much longer do I have to put up with this, you know? But then eventually he would have gotten to Judas. Because Judas doesn't leave to betray Jesus until a little bit after that moment. But Jesus knows that he will. Like imagine that. Hey, you're Jesus, you're the son of God. You're, you're, you're low, like you've kneeled all the way down to the ground. And the feet in front of you are the very same feet that in just a few moments are gonna walk out the door and betray you for 30 pieces of silver so that you can be handed over to the Romans to die the most brutal death a human being can experience. And you take the time to carefully, thoroughly, and lovingly wash those feet. How many of us would do that? If you wanna be great in God's eyes, like if you desire greatness, find some feet to wash. Not literally, because again, be weird in our culture. You might go to jail. <laughs> but seriously, ask, ask God this week. He will answer this prayer, I promise you that. Lord. Metaphorically speaking, or literally, I guess, but like probably metaphorical, whose feet do I need to wash this week? Lord, who, who do I need to serve? Lord, who would be the hardest for me to serve right now in my life? What would you have me do for them? But if you wanna be great, that's what greatness looks like. Step two, step one is if you wanna be great, serve anyone at any time, let go of all your dignity, let go of all your pride, drop it, drop to the floor, do whatever you can to serve whoever God puts in front of you, even if it's your Judas. But number two, it's different side of the same coin, is be willing to be served by anyone. As I was thinking through this moment in, in the Last Supper, this foot washing moment that begins the story really, I was reminded of another time in Jesus' life where he had his feet washed. We see it in Luke chapter seven. It says, one of the Pharisees asked Jesus to have dinner with him, so Jesus went to his home and sat down to eat. And when a certain immoral woman from the city heard that he was there, she brought a beautiful alabaster jar filled with expensive perfume. This would have been worth an entire year's salary. This was often something that was kind of part of like a dowry that, that you would 
you would give and, and would be part of a, a marriage proposal. She's probably had this her whole life, okay? It says she knelt behind him at his feet, weeping. Her tears fell on his feet and she wiped them off with her hair. She kept kissing his feet and putting perfume on them. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would know what kind of woman is touching him. She is a sinner. And then Jesus answered his thoughts. Wow. Simon, he said to the Pharisee, I have something to say to you. Go ahead, teacher, Simon replied. And you know in his mind, he's already discounted everything that Jesus is about to say, but Jesus is gonna blow him away. Jesus told him this story. A man loaned money to two people, 500 pieces of silver to one and 50 to the other, but neither of them could repay him. So he kindly forgave them both, canceling their debts. Who do you suppose loved him more after that? Simon answered, I suppose the one for whom he canceled the larger debt. That's right, Jesus said. Then he turned to the woman and said to Simon, look at this woman kneeling here. When I entered your home, you didn't offer me water to wash the dust off my feet, but she has washed them with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You didn't greet me with a kiss, but from the time I first came in, she has not stopped kissing my feet. You neglected the courtesy of olive oil to anoint my head, but she has anointed my feet with rare perfume. I tell you, her sins, and they are many, have been forgiven. And she has shown much love. But a person who is forgiven little shows only a little love. Then Jesus said to the woman, your sins are forgiven. It's a really powerful story. And again, you just see Jesus so clearly. He's amazing. But it's interesting how comfortable Jesus was with having his own feet washed. And this woman, this perfume, this jar, it's like, it's her everything. And she's washing his feet and he's fine with it. You know, humility is so valuable to God. And there's a kind of humility that is required to, to lay aside your dignity and your status to serve other people. But there's another kind of humility that's required to allow someone to serve you. Right, like there's that pride that keeps us from being able to ask for help or receive it if someone gives it. And Jesus didn't have that. Jesus, he didn't have that. Jesus had no pride. And if there was ever a person that should have had some pride, like it's, it's Jesus. We live in this culture where everyone brags about themselves all the time. Like social media, is just, it's just like, like brag, 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 you know? And it's funny, like we even do weird things. And look, I'm saying this, I'm not putting any guilt on any of us because I do it too, where like you have a bunch of pictures of your kids, like their children, you wanna post one online, but you're like, not cute enough. That one's a weird picture. Their face looks weird in that one. And we're like handpicking the best pictures of our children to show to the world. I've told this story before and I, it came up in a conversation this last week. A few years ago, Megan and I were like, let's take our children and do something fun. And we, we chose putt-putt golf. And we went to this putt-putt place and we paid the money and we took this big picture. All of us had our little, our little clubs and our little the, the balls. And we're like, ah. And then the next two hours was the most miserable experience of my life. My children were terrible. They were horrible. They fought with each other. They, one of our kids kept losing his ball, like just throwing it. Not even, and he was like doing it to be, you give him the ball, he'd chuck it and you had to go find the other ball. And it was like, I lost my mind at this putt-putt golf course. I'm just like, hit the ball in the hole and move to the next hole. I don't care what your score is. You're not good at golf, just move along, okay? You know, it was like, it was awful. It was bad. But we did post the picture on a social media, you know? And I remember, I didn't even think about it. It was like, 
oh, put that in such a cute picture. And everyone's like, oh, what a great family. And oh, how fun, you, what a fun night. And I just remember being like, we're liars. We are absolute frauds. <laughs> this night was, it was like a waste of money, a waste of time. I loved my children less when it was done. <laughs> I definitely wasn't about to wash their feet. That's for sure. Oh man, we, we, we live in a culture where we try to exaggerate so many things. And if there was ever a person who, who like could do that without even having to exaggerate really, someone who could just like brag, it's Jesus. If there was ever a person who had the, the right to refuse help, it's Jesus. Because his feet didn't need to be washed. You know what I'm saying? Like, like truly. But Jesus was totally okay with, with being served because he was humble. And real humility doesn't fight the help of others. Jesus actually asked people for help. Think about that. He asked people for help. He asked people to pray for him. Jesus Christ asked people to pray for him. They fell asleep when he asked them to, but it's okay. It's his disciples later that, that very night after he washed their feet. If you wanna be great, you have to be humble and humility is being willing to serve anyone, but it's also being okay with other people serving you and never allowing your pride to get in the way of that. And I'll say this, I, I know this, and I'm not trying to, like, I know that there are people who have gone on with Jesus, but they, they, haven't, they haven't been baptized yet, for example. Because there's something about that step, there's something in the way. I've actually had conversations with people like, hey, I know I haven't been baptized yet and I'm, I'm working up to it. I just wanna like, you know, get to a better place personally before I do. And I'm like, you don't understand baptism, okay? This is not like, we don't cheer for you because it's an impressive thing you've done. It's a humility, right? It's a surrendering. It's saying, I need to be washed clean. And I'm telling you, if, there, if, there's, any, if there's any pride that, that is getting in the way of you taking a step further with God, that's gotta go. I'm not saying that judgmentally because I have been there. I'll tell you, a, a really simple one is the prayer room. You know, we have an amazing prayer team. We have this room in the back, if you don't know, you walk by it on, if you come in on this side, you walk by it, not on that side, but it says prayer, and there's a team of people here every Sunday after church, and they will be here as long as it, as it takes. I know because my wife leads the prayer team, and I am sometimes here very long. Like, I will talk to everyone in the lobby, and everyone's gone, and I'm like starving, and my kids are crying, and like, mom's still praying. It's fine, that's a commitment we make. And I know, I know there are times where people desperately need some prayer and they walk by that room and there's this thought, but it's like, ooh, to walk in that room, that's, that's, a, that's a humility play. To walk through that door means I gotta lay aside the facade that I've got it all together and I've got it all figured out and say, I need Don't, don't deny yourself prayer from people who pray because it's like, I don't know, I don't like, I told the prayer team this morning, there might be a really long line in the prayer room today, or maybe not. But, but man, don't let that pride get in the way of you receiving what you need. 
We'll wrap up. Worship team, you guys can make your way out. Jesus is so humble. He is, he is the son of God. He, and, and son of, it's interesting, it doesn't mean like God had a baby in heaven and he grew up to be Jesus and then came back and became a baby. That's not what son of in the Hebrew language means of the same essence, like the same as. Almost like you would look at a child who looks exactly like their, their father and just be like, you are the spitting image of your dad. Like you are the same. Okay, that, that's what it means. Jesus is of the same essence as God. He's, he's, he is God. He's the same as God the Father. It's the same power, wisdom, all of that. And he gave all of that up to come and be one of us and to show us what real greatness looks like. You, you wanna be great? You wanna be all that you were meant to be? I'm telling you, pray, God, who can I serve? Who needs help? God, who's my Judas and what can I do for them? And God might say, I want you to pray for them every single day. And you're like, what else can I do for them? You know, but it'll change you. It'll change your heart and God will exalt it. It's not why we do it. We don't do it for like the reward, but, but he, he promises to do. You wanna be great? You want God to be like, wow? It's not about accomplishing something big. It's not about being successful in the world's eyes. That's fine, that's great. It's about being willing to lay all of that completely and totally aside the moment you have the opportunity to serve someone. And it's about having the humility to recognize that our feet need washed too. And with that in mind, let's, let's take Lord's Supper. If you didn't grab one of these on the way in, by the way, you're fine to grab it now. You're never gonna interrupt something like, don't allow pride to keep you from getting up and walking to that table to grab one so you can take part in this, okay? The very night that we're talking about, Jesus took some bread and he broke it and he passed it around and he said to his disciples, this is my body, which is about to be broken for you. And then he took some wine and he passed it around and he said, this is my blood, which is gonna be spilled. And he said that when you get together, when you gather together, which is what we're doing today, do this to remember me, do this, be reminded of this. And it's so interesting that Jesus wanted us to do this all the time. The early church did this all the time, every time they got together. And then like, I grew up in church, but we did this twice a year. And it was really like, it was a really interesting experience. And some people, you maybe grew up Catholic and you did it all the time, but in a very specific way, very formal way. And, and some of us, it's a brand new thing. But this is something Jesus asked us to do whenever we get together. And it's this constant reminder. He knew that we would need a constant reminder of what he does for us, of what his sacrifice did for us, because it cleanses us. You know, he washed his disciples' feet and that conversation he had with, with Peter is so interesting because he says to Peter, like, look, let me wash your feet. Peter's like, well, wash all of me. He's like, you're fine, Peter, just let me wash your feet. It's the only part of you that's dirty. If you give your life to Jesus, he cleanses you. Like you, the Holy Spirit, the forgiveness of Jesus on the cross, all of it's enough. But you know, it's funny, our feet still tend to get dirty. You know, there's something about life. I was talking with a friend of mine who, who said, you know, our feet are the part of our bodies that's always touching the earth. And even as Jesus followers who have been cleansed and forgiven and transformed, we still live here on this planet and, and our feet are still touching the earth. You know what I'm saying? Like we still have a tendency to pick up some dust, to pick up some dirt. 
And we don't need Jesus to redo the whole thing all over again. We don't need him to get back up on the cross and die again for our sins. But sometimes we do, very often we do need Jesus to just sort of wipe our feet off again because we pick stuff up. That's what happens when you live in a world like this. And this little mini meal is a reminder to us that every moment of the day, Jesus is available to us, that his sacrifice for us is made new, that it's a constant renewal, a constant cleansing. It's not just a one-time thing, it's a constant thing, which is why we don't just do this once, we do it all the time. And so with that in mind, if you'll take the bread, and we're gonna pray for it. Father, thank you for this bread. Thank you for what it, what it represents, what it means. Your body broken for us on the cross, not just as a, as a, a gesture, not just as some type of, of like object lesson, for us to go, wow, you would do that for me. Yes, it is that, Lord, but it's more than that. It actually accomplished something. It actually did something. Your sacrifice cleanses us from our sin completely and totally. And Lord, we recognize that just living our lives in this world, sometimes we still, even though we're, we're cleansed and forgiven, we still pick up stuff we shouldn't pick up. We still get dust on our feet, so to speak. And I pray, Lord, that as we take this, we are humbled enough to allow you to keep washing us clean. Let's take the bread. Father, we thank you for this, this little cup of juice and what it means, what it represents, your blood spill, the precious blood of Jesus poured out to purify our hearts and our souls to give us a life that we can never have on our own. Lord, you went that low. You humbled yourself that, that much, Lord. Forget humility, Lord. You endured humiliation on the cross. You bled for us so that we could be made whole, so that we could be made clean. And Lord, as we take this, we say thank you. We receive it. We will not fight you as you continue to work to transform us into the people that you've created us to be. We love you, Jesus. Let's take the juice.